This is the Byron Bledsoe Podcast, Senior Pastor of C3 Church in Orlando, Florida. Thank you so much for checking out today's message. We hope this word encourages you and inspires you. Let's jump into the message. God bless you. Grab a seat. And uh, man, I love what God's doing here. I love what God's doing here through you. Two weeks in a row, 11 o'clock, ran out of seats. Uh, there are a few gaps now we've made with some space, but uh, y'all are inviting machines, and so know that we are working on some things that I'll be able to share very, very soon with you, but um, I'm excited about what God's doing. If you have a smartphone, I don't know if you have this app. If not, I would highly encourage you to get it. It's called YouVersion, Y-O-U version. Uh, it is a Bible app. It's free 99. I know y'all love free. It's free 99. Um, but you can download it. And here's the cool thing. They have a thing, if you hit, hit the little Hamburg menu called Live Events, and you can click on C3 Church, and it has the verses I'm talking about. There's a way you can take notes in that and email that to yourself afterwards. So it's just a great tool. Part of the reason is this morning, we're going to Mark chapter 5. The Bible's divided into two segments. One's called Old Testament. The other's called New Testament. And in the New Testament, Old Testament is before Jesus, creation of the world through before Jesus. Then there's about 400 years of silence. Then we have the New Testament, which deals with the life of Jesus, the birth of the church, and things to come. Mark is the second what we call book. It's, it's way better than a book. It's, it's an inspired by God ancient document. But Mark is the second in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark. Mark chapter 5, and there's some things here that I think will be very helpful on the last Sunday of the first month of a new year. Things that you owe it to yourself to consider, things that I owe it to myself to consider as we look at the rest of the year. Hoping, planning, implementing, hopefully, some habits and patterns to enhance this year and help it to be the best year of your life, the best year of my life. And so this morning in Mark 5, I'm going to roll through a few verses because we have a lot of different people in a lot of different backgrounds. Some of you, if you grew up in church, or you've studied your Bible, it's a familiar story. You don't need me to read everything I'm going to read. But there are also a lot of people here that maybe you're new to faith. Maybe you're considering faith. You're not a Christ follower. If that's the case, I want you to know we are thrilled that you're here. You're welcome every Sunday. We're glad you're here. But in these verses, there's some powerful truth that applies in significant ways to C3, yes, but more than that, to your life and to my life. Jesus has just come through a dangerous storm. And he's going to a place where the culture is completely disconnected from God. This is not a Jewish area. These are Gentiles. And these are people who at this time have no appreciation, no regard for the spiritual heritage of the Jews or the beliefs and teachings of Jesus. But he goes there anyway. Jesus was not afraid to have conversations with, to share truth in a loving way with people who had a different perspective. He's going somewhere where they're different ethnically, they're different theologically, they have different beliefs. And they have a different even intellectual perspective about life and how life should be lived. But he goes there anyway. It's interesting to me because in our day, we tend to be the kind of people who want to be around people that think the same way we do. We've lost the ability in many ways to have conversations and glean and learn things from people we disagree with. We now live in a culture where if you disagree with me, you're supposed to hate me and I'm supposed to hate you. But we get stuck in ignorance when we function that way because there's never an opportunity to learn. And there's a great advantage. You serve yourself well. You serve your future well when you live life as a student because when you live life as a student, everybody's a teacher. And I've learned as much from people I disagree with on certain topics as I have from people I agree with. We tend to, to sort of go to people we agree with, but, but Jesus has no problem going to this area where there's significant disagreement. Nobody believes in him. Nobody believes what he's teaching. Not only that, in the chapter before, the disciples closest to him, in the middle of this storm, come and wake him up, and they basically question his character. They say, hey, Jesus, you don't even care if we're about to die. His character's been questioned by his closest followers, 
but he goes where he's going anyway. In Mark chapter 5, he arrives at the destination. In this passage, we learn the why behind why he's there. In Mark chapter 4, we're only told the what. Understanding why is vastly different than merely understanding the what. We love the what, but we rarely contemplate the why. We talk about the what people did. It's called gossip. Without ever pausing to consider why they did what they did. Why? It's not a question we're unfamiliar with. We learned this question from a very young age. In fact, it's one of the first questions we ask. Those of you that are parents, if you've had a two-year-old and a three-year-old, you've heard this question, why, millions of times. Mom, dad, why is the sky blue? Because God made it blue. Why did God make it blue? Because he wanted to. Why did he want to? I mean, it is unending. And as parents, you know, you have walked through this, and it can be exhausting at times, but it is essential for growth. You and I will never grow if all we know is the what. You have to know the why to be able to grow. If you're in leadership, if you lead anything, one of the most important things you can do is help your team, the people around you, understand not just the what to do, but the why behind it. When I learn the why, I learn the principles for the action. When I learn the why, it makes more sense and it's more connected. And here's the other thing, the other benefit. If you lead something and you teach your team, you coach your team the why, somebody may come up with a question you've never thought of that helps you improve the what. Jesus is going to this place, and he intentionally goes where there will be no standing ovations, where people don't just respect him because he's Jesus. But that doesn't matter to him because he's not going there for a crowd. He's going there for a person. It is a reminder to us in a growing church, something we need to always keep in our minds, in our hearts, buried in our souls, correct in our perspective. It's a reminder to us as a growing church that if we're not careful, we can become consumed with crowds and ignore people. One of the reasons I get excited about a crowded room is the individuals. It's all driven by one life at a time. One of the reasons I celebrate numbers and what God's doing in the life of C3 with growth and with people meeting Jesus is because every single number represents a life. And every single life has a name, and every single name has a story, and we celebrate what God's doing in each life. Crowds, if you have a healthy perspective, are always about individuals. Notice Mark chapter 5, verse 2. When Jesus got out of the boat, he's come across the water. He's been through the horrible storm. A man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with the stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees, and that phrase caused me As I was reading this passage over and over this week, thinking about today, it caused me to ask myself a question. And I think it's a question if you're a Christ follower. You and I need to ask not just today, but on a regular basis. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees. When people who don't know Jesus are people who are living chained and locked up, the behaviors they wish they could change, habits they've tried to tweak, a life they wish they could improve. When people who are struggling see you as a follower of Jesus, because of how you live, do they run to you or from you? When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees. There is something about religion that repels people. When all you have is a religion, it breeds arrogance. When all you have is a religion, it it creates a haughtiness sometimes in our lives. When you focus on religion, you focus on I'm right and everybody else is wrong. But Jesus functioned in a very different way. 
He was more concerned with loving people and influencing them and meeting the needs in their lives than he was with winning an argument. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, the son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus said, had said to him, come out of this man, you impure spirit. And then Jesus asked him, what is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. And the demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission. And the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed, and in his right mind, and they were afraid. I don't believe those words are accidental. I think there's something deeper here that speaks to you and me and how we live and how we view people. There's something here that speaks to when we need to make some some changes in our own lives, when we need to tweak an area where God has convicted us and said, hey, here's my plan for you in this area of life. Here's how I want you to do marriage. Here's how I want you to forgive people. Here's how I want you to invest in and influence and raise your kids. Here's how I want people you to treat people. Here's how I want you to be kind to people that are unkind. There's something here. They saw a man who used to be in bondage, who used to live in chains, and now He's free. He's experienced freedom. He's in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. This man has been set free. And those that are familiar with him, I mean, think about it. He's got a reputation because remember we read earlier, they put him in chains and he would break them. They put him in chains again, he would break them. They know this guy. They know the level of his strength. They know the level of his cray-cray. They know that... He's a problem, and so he's out there. They try to isolate him, and now he's free, and it scares them. Are you aware that some people who know you have become very used to you living less than? They're comfortable with your bad habits. They're comfortable with your struggles. They're familiar with and know your drama. They're comfortable with you living in bondage. They have no problem knowing the you that lives limited, the you that lives in pain. It's not your pain that concerns them. It can be your freedom that terrifies them. Because some people don't know how to handle you getting better. Some people don't know how to handle you making positive changes. In many ways, because when you and I give our lives to Jesus, when you and I begin to grow spiritually, when we begin to live differently, think differently, when life begins to move to a different level, the level God created us to live life, it can be very, very convicting to those who don't want to go there. They don't mind many people you struggling. They just don't want you to change because it makes them uncomfortable and it convicts them. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. Think about this. Nobody was strong enough to subdue this guy. Nobody could control him. He was a constant threat. He was a local terrorist. And now he's changed. He's in his right mind. He's found freedom. And so the people come to Jesus and say, hey, uh, we see what you did here. Uh, Would you please leave? I don't know about you, but... If Jesus can bring that kind of freedom to someone that's in that much bondage, I want him to hang around. Hey, I I got some other people. uh, I'd love you to start changing. I got an uncle that's crazy. I hate Thanksgiving. I got to, like, if he can do that, I want him to hang around. But notice what happens. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Can you imagine asking Jesus to leave? It's not hard to imagine because I feel like in our culture we've done that. Although he set so many people free, he seems to be chronically unwelcome more and more in our culture. 
And in all of our intelligence, we're too ignorant to realize that if we ask the one who brings freedom to leave, we have no hope. Jesus did not let him, the man who'd been changed, he did not let him go with him, but said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you. Do you do that? Do you tell people how much God's done for you? And how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. All of this for just one person. He's come through a storm. He's going somewhere uncomfortable. Nobody respects him. Nobody likes him. They're going to ask him to leave. But he goes there anyway for one person. Because when it comes to Jesus, just one is enough. And if he did all of this for just one person, he'll do it for you, and he'll do it for me as well. When Jesus comes to set you free, do you long to stay with him or do you ask him to leave? When you're in a conversation with a fellow Christ follower and they're sharing something that God's done in their lives and it's kind of convicting to you, do you want to stay with it and contemplate it or do you ask Jesus to leave and leave you alone? Do you ask him to leave you alone in your thoughts because you've become familiar with small thinking? Do you ask him to leave you alone in your plans because you think you know better than God when it comes to your life, your relationships, your decisions, your finances, your career? Do you ask him to leave you alone in your life because you have no desire to change anything? Change is uncomfortable. Growth is uncomfortable. And growth cannot happen without change and being uncomfortable. I wonder how often do you say, how often do I say, how how many Sundays in a worship service does our lives and our decisions say to Jesus, leave, get out? We look at something the Word of God teaches. Do you embrace it or dismiss it? Do we only agree with the things in the Bible that help us live a comfortable life? We want the blessings of God. We want the forgiveness of God. We want the power of God. We want the answered prayer from God. But but all the things Scripture says where God says, hey, live this way, live elevated, live like this, what are the things that you dismiss? And the things that you dismiss, the things that you and I fail to apply, the things that we ignore or rationalize away, what we're doing is we're saying the same thing these people said. Jesus, would you get out? Would you just leave? When he came to bring us freedom, the kind of freedom we've not known, One of the things I'm learning in life, I try not to use the phrase one of the things I've learned because none of us ever really arrive. One of the things that I'm learning in life, just living life at 50, none of your business years old, one of the things that I'm learning in life is that you can be so sick you don't recognize health. You can get so used to doubt. You can get so used to struggle. You can get so used to broken relationships. You can get so used to disappointment. You can get so used to living discouraged that you think it's normal. It comes out like this. That's just the way it is for me. This is just how it's going to be for me. You feel like, maybe you've never said it this way, but you, you, you almost feel like God has some favorites because you see people God blesses. You see people who have great lives, great marriages, great kids, great careers, great finance. You, you see that. Man, God has favorites. I'm just not one of them. This is just what my life is going to look like. And so often we settle based on our excuses rather than pursuing what the Word of God teaches that could set us free. In fact, you can be so spiritually sick that you view what would bring you spiritually, spiritual health as harmful. So many of the things the Word of God teaches are counterintuitive. Somebody harms me in a significant way or someone I love in a significant way, and I'm supposed to forgive them? That's the last thing I want to do, but it's the only thing that will bring me freedom. Somebody's just a jerk day in and day out at the office, and I'm supposed to be kind? I mean, how much am I supposed to put up with? How much did Jesus put up with? One of the things I pray every single Sunday is that when you and I come into this room, we would not leave the same way we came in. I pray every single week and every single Sunday before I come out on Sunday morning 
right after I get there, almost throwing up because I'm terrified of being in front of people. One of the things I deal with is, is just that, which, listen, any confidence that you feel from me, please understand, that is because I know better than anyone in this room that what's happening at C3, God is doing, because I'm not good enough to pull this off. But one of the things I pray every week is, God, I, I pray that we don't leave the same, that I don't leave the same. So if you've never met Jesus, I, I have an agenda. I'll, I'll be straight up. If you're not a Christ follower, my agenda, I, I'm praying and hoping that today you see your need for God in your life in a personal way, and you invite Jesus to come into your life and be your personal Lord and Savior, to give you a home in heaven and forgive your sins and for his spirit to live in your life. I, I, I'm praying for that. I, I hope you don't leave the same way you came in. If you're already a Christ follower, I'm praying that in some way, some passage we look at, some verse, that God would speak to you as individuals, even though we're in a crowd, about an area of your life where maybe he would bring some comfort where you need it. Maybe he would bring some encouragement where you need it. Maybe he would bring some conviction in an area that we need it. Because we're really, really good at choosing less than when it comes to life. It's almost like our default position sometimes is, how can I screw this up? And God knows the best way to live. I, I, I'm praying that we leave differently than we came in. I'm praying that we end 2023 differently than we began it. That in your life this year, in my life, there's growth, there's maturity, that we step into more of the life God created us to live. If Jesus said, I came to give you life to the full, even on earth, are you living that? And what are the things, the habits, the patterns, the thinking in your life that need to change for you to be able to experience that? Change is hard, but freedom is worth it. And transformation is impossible apart from God working in our lives. But we have to go to uncomfortable places to experience that. We have to be willing to be uncomfortable. Like when I'm on the, in the gym on Friday working out with Marcus, and he says, hey, we're doing eight sets of this, and I want to cuss, but I'm a pastor, but I do it anyway because I screw up sometimes. Uh, listen, You've got to go to uncomfortable places if you want to experience growth. And one of the most uncomfortable things that you and I have to do, if you want to grow, we have to do this, is to confront things in our lives that are often uncomfortable to confront. And you can confront it or you can excuse it. You can confront it or you can rationalize why it's okay for you. You get the choice. But those two choices lead to very different paths and destinations in life. So for the next few moments, I want to tell you the why behind the what of C3. The what is we're connecting communities with Christ. That's what the name C3 stands for, the three C's in that phrase, connecting communities in Christ. We're connecting communities with Christ. That's the what. But what's the why? What are the foundational pillars that this movement is built on? And if you're a part of C3 and have been for a while, it's good to be reminded of this. If you're new to C3, it's good for you to know and all transparency, transparency, exactly who we are, what we believe, why we do what we do, the, the, the why behind everything. Any, any Clemson fans in the house? Anybody love Clemson? Okay, God bless you, man. One, last service, there was nobody. I'm not a Clemson fan, but I have huge respect for Clemson and huge respect for Dabo Sweeney. And one of the things I learned years ago listening to a leadership podcast that Dabo Sweeney, the head coach, was talking about, couple things I gleaned from it. One, he said, I did not prepare to be a head coach when the offer came through. I prepared ahead of time so I would be ready for the offer. Hey, that's just huge in life. Some of you write that down. That's the only reason you came today. You needed to know that. Right now, it seems like nothing's happening, but you prepare for what God wants to do because it won't come unless you prepare for it. The other thing he said in that talk that was so fascinating to me, he said, at Clemson, we coached the coin toss. A coin toss, for those of you that are, that are not football fans, and as a result, you live a much less stressful life than the rest of us, at the beginning of a game, a coin is tossed to decide which team kicks, which team gets the ball first. At Clemson, Dabo said, we coach the coin toss. We don't just say, choose heads, and if we, we get it, uh, pick receive, or, or choose tails, and if we get it, pick kickoff. He said, we want them to understand the why. Hey, if we win this toss... I want you to choose kick. We're going to kick the ball because we believe our defense is strong enough to overwhelm their offense and gain some quick momentum in the game. He coaches the why. It's one of the greatest leadership failures those of us that are leaders ever make. We can make the mistake in our busyness 
And because of the pressure we're under, we can make the mistake of telling our team what and not coaching the why. It's important to me that you as a church, that we together understand the why. Why are we doing what we do? It's very, very simple. It's our DNA. Some people may call it our our core values. It is the building blocks of this movement, and it's the lens through which we bring clarity to everything we do. Every decision we make is filtered through the why. Why are we doing this? Because we know that in every single area, this is true for our church and it's true for your life, this is true for your marriage, it's true for your parenting, your career, your friendships, how you navigate decisions. In every area we say yes, God will bless. In every area where God says live this way, think this way, function this way, relate to people this way, in every single area we say yes, God will bless. So if you're new to C3 and you're thinking about becoming a part of this movement, man, we we would love that. But I want you to know up front who we are. This is not a bait and switch. I want you to know who we're about. And so you're going to find that out over the next few moments. If you're considering C3, this is the family DNA. Genetically, this, this is who we are. And this is everything we're about because we know life is complicated. So I want to make it very, very simple. What are the building blocks? What are the foundational elements? What what are the things that are not up for negotiation, the things that kind of are guiding principles in the decisions we make? Number one, we're addicted to life change. We are addicted to life change. We can't get enough. We can't see enough. Every single Sunday when we celebrate how many people gave their lives to Jesus, it's it's because we're addicted to it. I want to see more. The marriage is restored. The teenagers finding purpose and leaving sometimes struggle and discouragement. What God's doing in families, man, I want to see more. We are addicted to life change. Jesus had a tough day. There was a storm. He's going to a tough place. They weren't going to receive him well. But he did it anyway for one person. We go after the one. Did you know that about 92% of people that are part of C3 were not a part of any church for at least five years before they came here? Listen, if you have a neighbor or a coworker or a classmate that goes to another church, leave them alone. Like, be friends with them. Don't invite them to C3. Come on. Like, they found a place where God's ministering to them. God loves them. God's working in their lives. Man, leave them alone. Go to the people that don't go anywhere. That's who you invite. The people that feel disconnected, the people that feel like maybe God doesn't care and people don't care because churches have earned an amazing reputation of being mean as hell and highly judgmental. And we want to change what people think about church. We're addicted to life change. Number two, we help people find their purpose. I want nothing less than for you to discover why you're here. We want to help you live a life of significance and give you opportunities to do that, to be significant. I'm going to give you one this morning in just a few moments. But we want to help people find their purpose. Listen, life is too important. It's too meaningful. We only get to do this once. We want to help you discover why you're here. Number three, we are authentic with each other and with God. If you know me at all, you know that what you see is what you get. I grew up in uh, traditional churches. And it was always important in those churches. I remember even as a kid where the pastor was kind of held up as this icon, this, this perfect guy who'd figured everything out. I need to tell you, if you're looking for a church with a perfect pastor, you need to keep looking. You're going to be severely disappointed. In fact, I need to go a step further. If you ever do find a church that's perfect, don't join it because you'll ruin it. And then let me go even a step further. If you think, think, hey, I'm looking for the perfect church. C3 is not a perfect church. We're not a perfect church. But we have a perfect Savior. And he's working in people's lives, and we chase that. But, But we're authentic. I remember speaking in a church I was on staff at in North Carolina. I was in Bible college at the time, and I preached. I don't remember if it was a Sunday morning, Sunday night, and I've always kind of been a guy that just, I, 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 I'm, not, I'm not anything special. I'm a guy on a journey just like you. I, I want to love Jesus. I want to live my life for him. I want to make a difference, but I screw up. I mess up. There are things I struggle with, things you struggle with, and I just believe in being very honest and transparent. But this professor, the, the, the school had a Bible college and a cemetery, I mean seminary, and 
this professor of the seminary. Seminary is where you go to graduate school if you want to be ruined as far as growing churches. But uh, you have a lot of professors tell you how to grow a church, and they've actually never done it. But I, I have respect. God says, man, get education, but there are different ways to do that. And so one of the professors came up to me at the end of the service, and he said, he was a preaching professor. He said, don't ever do that again. I said, what? He said, don't be that honest with people. Don't tell people where you struggle. Don't let people know areas that you blew it. They need to see you as having it all together. And church, I got to be honest. I don't know how to do that. Because at the end of the day, I'm not trying to get you to be like me. I'm trying to get us to be like Jesus. And I want you to understand, yes, I struggle with things. Yes, I wrestle with things. I'm on the journey with you. And I think it brings a level of hope in a more impacting way because if God can work in and through me and if God's doing things in my life, he'll do it in your life because I'm just a guy. We are authentic with each other and with God. Man, be real with God. If you're struggling in some area and you go to God to pray, it's not, dear God, thank thou for all thou's blessing. You don't talk like that anywhere else. What, you think God only speaks in 1622? Like, listen, the reality is be who you are. God can handle your anger. God can handle your doubt and your questions, your disappointment. Be real with God, just like you want your children to be real with you. Don't pretend with God. Be honest and real with him. We're authentic with each other and with God. Number four, we bring excellence in everything we do. I need to let you know these core values. They're not just C3s, they're mine personally. I pray that if you're a part of C3, they're yours personally. You, you may add some others that have nuances to you individually and things that you're about, but, but these things we, we share in common. If you're a part of C3, these are the things that we hold as precious, that we share in common, and we bring excellence in everything we do. I said excellence, not perfection. We can't do more than we can do, but we can do the best we can do. And when we do our best, God does the rest. I believe in bringing excellence. We chase excellence. I meet with people before the service, first service, and go over my message. I listen to their input. I, I get their input on different things. I meet with people after the first service, before the second, so that you have an even better experience, hopefully, and I've learned. And I ask the questions like, where was it boring? What didn't make sense? What didn't connect? Because I am constantly in my life pursuing better and more effective and being more excellent. I, I, I want that. I understand I won't achieve perfection, but I will never settle and coast or put my life on cruise control and think, okay, we've arrived. We haven't. Speaking of excellence... I told you I was going to give you an opportunity for significance, an opportunity to be a part of something significant. We moved in this building just over a year ago, and in 2022, we saw 191 people give their lives to Jesus in this room, which is incredible. When we moved into this building, because of your faithful generosity, we were able to completely remodel and transform the lobby. Another church had been here for 11 years. The lobby, we totally redid. We got in the building. We did a few other things around the building, and... I need to let you know, I don't know if you've ever seen this room cleared. I don't know if you've ever seen the carpet. The carpet is 12 years old. Another church met here 11 years before we came in. You've been harder on it because of the level that you invite, and we have more services than they had, and, man, you're, you're wearing stuff out, but in a good way. And if you've ever seen the carpet, and not only the look of the carpet, it smells like an elephant's butt. Like... <laughs> It is not a good representation of excellence, and it matters because every first-time guest that walks in this room, you, you, you thought, why do they keep the lights down? The carpet? <laughs> not just the carpet. Part of it is I'm terrified being in front of people, and if the lights are down out there and bright on me, I can't see you, and it makes it a little bit easier. But listen, we need to, we need to do some enhancements to this campus. And so I'm asking you if you're part of C3. If you're not a part of C3, please feel no obligation. If you're a part of C3, I'm asking you for the next couple of weeks to pray about what God would have you give over and above for six months because there are some things we need to enhance and upgrade in pursuing excellence because the people that walk through the doors for the first time deserve excellence. Those of you that are part of C3, you deserve excellence. The people who've never been deserve excellence. Jesus deserves our very best, and this carpet is not our very best. Some of you... Um, 
you're sitting on chairs that are 12 years old. And I won't tell you over 12 years what's happened to those chairs. You can imagine because we live in hot Florida. But listen, and the worst chairs, they're in the back of the room, so sit close to the front. But in this kind of room, you can't help it. You can't help it. But last week, we ran out of chairs. Today, we ran out of chairs. Almost every seat's full. And it doesn't matter if there's a seat here and a seat there because a family of five comes in, they can't sit together. We need to replace about 200 chairs. We've gotten rid of over 200 chairs in one year because they just keep wearing out. And I don't want a first-time guest to walk in and see a chair that's all ripped up and we say, sit down, have a seat. You matter. See, excellence matters. How we treat what God has blessed us with says what we think about our God and about people. And we have a calling to bring excellence to what we do. And so I I really want to encourage you, man, please be praying. We need 200 chairs. We have an opportunity to add 200 new chairs. It will add more seats to this room that are in it right now. And we need to get rid of some of the old chairs that are there that, that we're using. Some of the chairs we had to pull out this morning, I'm embarrassed of. They don't represent us well. There's a reason we don't put them out. And it's time we do something to set a standard of excellence. We've been here for a year. It's time to step it up. 200 chairs will cost about $12,000. You add shipping, it's about $2 million. I'm kidding. It's about three. They're heavy. It's about $15,000. Some of you, you, you could write a check for that. You could take care of that. The carpet, it's more. There's a few other upgrades we need to do because we bring excellence in everything we do. You deserve it. The people who aren't here yet that we're going to reach deserve it, and our God deserves it. How we take care of the facilities is an act of worship, and it says what we believe about our God, how important he is, and how important people are. So please join me in praying. I'm going to send you a letter. There's going to be a pledge card in two weeks. We'll turn that in. You pray about what God would have you give over and above for six months to do what we need to do to the facilities. Number five, we embrace contagious generosity. Not just generosity, but contagious generosity. We get excited about the opportunity to give. The Bible says that God gave. You're never more like God than when you're generous. And so we want to be that kind of church. And I'm so proud, so many of you. A few weeks ago, we launched something called the 90-Day Tithing Challenge. And if you're a guest this morning and you don't know what that is, we teach what the Word of God says about finances. And it says that if you're a follower of Christ, the first 10% belongs to the local church. And I tell people every time I talk about this, if you think I'm trying to manipulate you, if you think I'm trying to get you to do something that that I'm just trying to lean into you so we have more money, if, if you feel like that, Tithe to a different church. You can still come here because it's the best church. And by the way, when I say that, some people are like, man, that's kind of arrogant about your church. No, I feel like every pastor should believe that about the church they pastor. If I say I have the best bride in the world, that doesn't take anything away from you other guys in the room. The only way we have a problem is if you think my bride is the best bride in the world. I will punch you in the throat. But listen, you should feel that way about your bride. I feel that way about my bride. So it takes nothing away from anybody else. But the reality is this is not about what I want from you. It's what I want for you. And the reason we don't mind talking about it is I know when you put God first financially and you bring the first 10% to the local church, it is the only place in all the Bible where God says, test me in this. Find out if I'm telling the truth. See if I'll keep my word. If you do this, I'll pour out so many blessings, you won't be able to take it all. And the reason I talk about it on a regular basis is the stories that I hear. And what God does in people's lives, when they step into that uncomfortable place, they create some new habits and patterns. They decide, I can live way better on 90% and God blessing me than 100% Malachi 3 with God cursing me. I want to put God first in my finances. And I love the stories. In fact, I want you to meet J.R. and Sadia, an incredible part of C3, precious family. I want you to hear what they have to say about it. Check this out. J.R. and I have been married 22 years. Uh, we have two amazing sons. Tristan is 21, and he's a senior at UCF. And then Jordan, who's 18, and he's a senior at Timber Creek High School. And when we moved down here, it was a little difficult to find a church where we fit in. And um, so uh, eventually, um, God brought Jacqueline Strohs into our lives through our sons. And um, she invited us to attend service at C3. And once we attended it, we knew this was the church for us. Um, my wife went into it a lot more 
involved and, and she started serving at church and she would hint to me sometimes, you know, I'm going to church tomorrow, are you coming with us? And I'll say, yeah, I'm going. But I, you know, I, I just wouldn't show up or I'd see them when they got home. But I always asked her what was going on in the service and what was the message of the day. It's, it's funny because I had to travel to Puerto Rico because Hurricane Fiona had pretty much devastated my dad's house. So when I flew back on a Saturday, on a late flight from Puerto Rico, um, I felt this need to go Sunday. It, it, I couldn't really explain it. My wife was like, "Mona Church tomorrow." I was like, "I'm going with you." So that Sunday, that's when Pastor Byron was speaking about the tithing challenge. So I, I sat back, and you know, I kind of knew my wife right away. Was like thinking, "Oh, service he comes back to, and this is what we have going on." And she knows my point of view on it, which I'll explain later. Um, but I was, I was, you know, a critic of it. But um, understanding that C3 is not like the churches I've experienced in my lifetime. But I wanted to speak to Pastor Byron as he exited. So he, let, he was exiting the, the service and I, I stepped to the back and I said, hey, I, I just had these, you know, these reservations about these tithing challenges. And I explained it to him. And simply he just said, he was like, listen, try it. And trust me, if, you, if you're in it wholeheartedly and, and your faith in it, it's gonna do things for you. And uh, I took him up on the challenge. And I would tell you, I mean, if you have any hesitation with it, you have to just take the chance like I did. And it will amaze you, it will. And my wife will share you, not, not, I'm not amazed easily, but she, she can tell you. I couldn't wait to speak to her yeah. on the changes that have been so positive for us. And, um, and that's why I had no problem when, when I was speaking about it. I was like, if there was a way I can spread this out to everyone, I was more than willing to. I thank you guys for this opportunity to, to tell my story and our story and our family. I would reiterate what JR said in that um, when you keep God first, he will always provide. Um, I have seen firsthand what our investment has done um, from the uh, youth ministry to seeing families walk through the doors with the kids excited about coming to church. Um, it's, it's just been amazing to see to the relocation of this, um, uh, to the relocation to this new amazing facility. Um, I definitely uh, see that our tithing is making an eternal investment here at C3. I also wanted to thank personally Pastor Byron for giving me one of his old shirts since he's lost so much weight. Um, I'm wearing one of the larger ones and he's inspiring me to, to slim down as well. Thank you very much, <laughs> Pastor Byron. <laughs> Incredibly precious family. Uh, man, we're so blessed. And listen, this is one of those, we do videos from time to time. All that God has done and J.R. and Sadia's life through the 90-day tithing challenge and them being faithful in that area, all that God's done. There wasn't time this morning. Like, I wouldn't have preached. We probably wouldn't have even had music if you could hear all that's happened. And he said to me, in fact, after the first service, he said, listen, you tell anybody, anybody that is a skeptic, anybody that has pushback, tell them to talk to me. I'll share with them everything. It is incredible. He shared some of it with me, what God has done. That's why I talk about it. It's not what I want from you. It's what I want for you. I, you got one life. I want you to experience the best life and all that God has to offer. And I understand it is a difficult area to trust in our finances. But God says, test me. And don't you want to know if you really can be trusted? And the reason we call it the 90-day tithing challenge is when you dive into it, if you tithe for 90 days, you bring the first 10% every time you get paid or anything of your gain. Angie and I sold a house about a year and a half ago. We tithed off the profit. Like, I, I believe in this. I do this. But if you do that after 90 days, you say, I don't feel like God blessed me, we'll give you everything back that you gave during the 90 days, plus Angie and I will throw in an extra $100. That's how much we believe in this. That's why we do this. We embrace contagious generosity. And so this morning, man, if you came and you were paid this week or you're prepared to give, you can text C through Orlando to 77977. You can scan the QR code on the back of the seat in front of you. You can drop cash or check in the red gift boxes. But remember, everywhere I say yes and every area I say yes, God will bless. And as a follower of Jesus, he asks us to do this. Number six, we always honor others. 
you are incredibly valuable. And there is no one else in the life of this church that's more valuable than you. We do not value people. Everything I just said is absolutely true, but we do not value people based on how much they give, what title they carry in life, what they drive, how big their house is. You are valued because there's a God who loves you that gave his son to die for you and pay the penalty for your sin, and he rose again so that you could have a personal relationship with him, and he invites you to call him Father. And there's no one on planet Earth more important than you. There's also no one on planet Earth less important than you. So we honor every single person. You matter is not just a phrase, it's a core belief. Number seven, we are unified in our diversity. We are unified in our diversity. C3 is a diverse church in so many ways. Ethnically, politically, we have a lot of different political opinions. If you don't believe it, go on Facebook around the election or stay off. I try to stay off. Good night. I've never seen anybody change somebody else's mind through a Facebook post. I've never seen anybody say, oh, this is the best person in the world. You should vote for them. Everybody else is terrible. And people are like, oh, yeah, they're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Never seen it happen. We, we tend to get really passionate about things that don't change eternity. And politics, it's important. It's not that I'm, it's not. I have deep beliefs and deep values. I believe voting's important. People died so we would have the right to vote. I believe in our freedoms. I just believe in Jesus more. And by the way, in elections, listen, I'm not electing a savior. I already have one. I'm electing the person that fits closest with what the Word of God teaches. But, but we have such a different opinions, and I think it is amazing that people that believe different things about different things, people from all walks of life, people from different ethnicities can come in and sit on the same row with other people, and we can agree that Jesus is God, that he's the Son of God, that he came to give us life and purpose and forgive our sins, and that only through a relationship with Jesus can we connect to the Father in a personal and intimate way. I think that's a beautiful thing. The church that I pastored years ago in Orlando was very frankly, all white. And honestly, I got to be honest, if it's all white, it's just not right. And Sunday mornings, Sunday morning is still the one time even in this nation that we separate ourselves and we go to huddles of people that look like us. And that's not what heaven's going to be like. I cherish the fact that I'm a part of a church that has a diversity. I think it adds a richness when you bring your culture and I bring my culture and together we are unified in our diversity. Because at the end of the day, there's only one race. It's the human race. Number eight, we have fun and laugh loud. Life, life is too short to be boring. And one of the things we believe, we, we, we take our faith seriously. We don't take ourselves seriously. I think it's good to have fun. I think we're supposed to have fun. God gave us emotion, and we're supposed to laugh. I don't know who you know in your life that laughs loud. The, the favorite person in my life right now who laughs loud is my granddaughter, Ellie. When a baby laughs, everybody laughs. Like there's just something contagious about it. We have fun and laugh loud because for too long, the reputation that churches have earned well is places of hate and judgment. We think it should be fun. We don't think the word of God is boring. So we have fun and we laugh loud. Number nine, we do more by doing less. Hey, this is a core value not only for C3, but I hope it's a core value in your life. Some people have a habit and a pattern in life of saying yes to everything they're asked to do. You can't do that. You have to say no even to some good things sometimes so you can say yes to the best things. And if you're too busy to plug in on Sunday morning to the local church, which is the hope of the world, if you're too busy to make a difference through the local church, which determines people's eternity, the only thing that's going to matter 100 years from now is where you are and where the people you love are. And so we, we do more by doing less. There are a lot of churches that fill the calendar with all kinds of things. We are strategic in how we do that. Sometimes people say, hey, I think we need a women's ministry three days a week, and I think we need a men's prayer group that meets every single day, and I think we should do services on Tuesday and Thursday and Friday, and I think we should have stuff for motorcycle people and stuff for fast car people and stuff. Listen, listen, if, if you're looking for a busy calendar, please understand, busyness does not equal spirituality. We do more by doing less because we're strategic in what we do, and some things are really good that other churches do, but we don't do them. We don't have the resources. We don't have the manpower. Because what happens when you start adding things to a calendar? You know what typically happens? About 20% of the people who are already serving somewhere add that on to serving as well. Churches are amazing at burning people out. And we're not going to do that. We're going to value you. We're going to value your schedule. You, you will know if we put something in front of you that we're doing, we're going to do it with excellence. And it's going to be something worthwhile. 
We're not just going to add things to do things. So if you have an idea, oh, I think you all ought to do this. Man, you do it. Giddy up. Saddle the horse and ride. It doesn't mean we have to do it. We're not going to add everything you want to add. And by the way, we will try new things. But if the horse dies, we take the saddle off. We're not going to ride it in the ground. And so we do more. I'm from Texas, so a lot of this. We do more by doing less. And last thing, last thing. And please hear this last one. We are in this together. We're in this together. I hope you have a ton of great days in your life. But you're going to have some tough ones. I'm going to have some hard ones. You're going to walk through at times unimaginable pain. And when you do, we're with you. If the whole world walks out, we'll still walk in. Because of all the other things I've shared, you really do matter. It's a spiritual family. And healthy families have each other's backs. Healthy families love each other. Healthy families are there for each other. And that's what you get when you're a part of C3. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your time in investing us in us as we look at your word, as you speak to us with all go- that's going on in the world. You take the time to make sure we hear from you today. I pray for every single person in this room right now. And God, I pray for those especially who don't have a relationship with you. With heads bowed and eyes closed, maybe you're here today and you know that the, the greatest decision you need to make in your life is to give your life to Jesus. And I can't think of a better time than right now on the last Sunday of the first month of the year. If that's the step you know you need to take to invite Jesus to come into your life, forgive your sin, give you that home in heaven, and his spirit to live inside you the rest of your life, to help you fulfill and live the life he created you to live, the things we've talked about this morning. If that's where you are, I want to invite you to pray a very simple prayer. You can pray it out loud or you can pray it in the quietness of your heart because the Bible says in Matthew 6, Jesus knows even our thoughts. So if you'd like to invite Jesus to come into your life, man, don't wait. This is your moment. Pray this simple prayer. Dear God, I know that I need you. Jesus, please come into my life. Forgive my sin and help me to live for you. Thank you so much for loving me. As best I know how, I give my life to you. In Jesus' name. Thank you so much for joining us. If you just prayed that prayer, we would love to know it. You can text your name to 407-487-8311 and Pastor Byron will be praying for you this week. And also, we want to thank you for your faithful generosity. You can go to giveC3.cc or you can text C3 Orlando to 77977. Thank you so much for how you give. And if you are in Central Florida, please join us in person at our campus at 9.30 or 11 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Have a great week.